0: Hey, hey, welcome to episode three of the Pursuit of Evolution podcast. So, one of the things I'm excited about for this podcast is not only having conversations with people about their growth and their resilience, their stories of overcoming, but also chatting with people who are in industries and areas of expertise to support us as we go through these personal evolutions. And that's exactly what today's episode is all about. I am chatting with Lori of Heritage Bridge Genealogy. She is an accredited genealogist, and we're chatting all things family history. We talk about what it means to leave a legacy. We talk about how do we begin to preserve our family's legacy if that hasn't been done up until this point in time. And we have a really interesting conversation about the risks and rewards of DNA testing, and even just the risks and rewards of genealogy as a whole. As some of this information becomes easier and more accessible, what does it mean to look at your past. What do you do with that information if it's not the information you hope for and how we can compile this information to carry it forward beyond us. If you're interested in genealogy, in DNA testing, in creating or leaving a legacy, then this is definitely the episode for you. So let's get into it. This is The Pursuit of Evolution and I'm your host, Casey Jordan. As a resilience and self-trust coach, I help people navigate life-changing events to not just survive, but thrive and grow in new ways. I created this podcast to show you what can happen when you tackle the hard parts of life head on. You'll hear from a wide variety of guests who've made some hard choices and big changes to build a life that they love and that they deserve. I'll also teach you my favorite strategies and tools so you can do the same. This is your invitation to lean into the hardship, explore the possibilities, and pursue your next greatest evolution. Change is inevitable, but evolution is optional. To kick things off, will you give me your first and last name and your pronouns?
1: Sure. Lori, her, Mance Moore, and she and her.
0: Great. So you are a genealogist. I am so excited for this conversation. Will you tell me a little bit about what you do? So we're all kind of on the same page.
1: <laughs> sure. Well, genealogists do a lot of things, but I
0: focus on two,
1: two, two areas. I, I serve attorneys. With generally probate research. So, if someone dies intestate, meaning they don't have a will, then state laws usually dictate who gets the money. And when an attorney needs to use a genealogist, it's usually when that individual didn't have any clear heirs no siblings, no children, no spouse, no parents. And you're looking out at aunts and uncles and cousins. And so a genealogist will recreate the family tree, will do the research to make sure that all those relationships are accurate. So a a big part of genealogy is making sure you're connecting generations accurately, whether you're coming forward in time or whether you're going backward in time. And a my other half of what I do is I serve individuals with family history research, and that could be DNA work to help them find an unknown parent. It could be, I'm stuck, research. they do their own research, and, and I'm stuck researching my ancestors. When you get back before 1850 in the U.S., it gets pretty tough, honestly. And a lot of times that's when a professional will get called in. And sometimes, and I love this kind of project, it's when somebody really doesn't know who their ancestors are, maybe beyond their grandparents or great grandparents, then introducing them to who all those people are and creating a tree and maybe doing, you know, a a few vignettes about, you know, there's always, everybody always has somebody interesting in their family tree. And it's, Mm -hmm. I like to do that kind of broad project, figure out who those interesting people are, and then maybe go back and deep dive on them.
0: Very cool. What got you into genealogy? Uh, Well, so I've always been a
1: researcher. I started, I had a history degree. I became a librarian first, then a corporate market researcher, and then... My husband and I had bought a Victorian house and or really, let's call it what it was. It was a money pit and and we were working to restore it. And you know, that's when the history bug really hit me. So here we're living in this 1890s house and I start wondering about, well, who lived here? So I started doing the research of, of who had lived there and determined, oh gosh, we had had a wedding in our front parlor and 1912 of a young woman who had graduated from Ohio State University that very day. We lived about three blocks from Ohio State. And that just got me hooked. And then uh, the big problem was I'm adopted. So I had never been able to research my own family, you know, my own, you know, genetic family. So I started. Um, looking into what would that take to find them. And I did, I did find them pretty quickly. And my husband is also adopted, which is, you know, that's really bizarre. Two adoptees married each other, but, you know, we're about the same age and we had both been adopted in the 1960s and all very closed and all of those things. Well, we have both now found our birth families, but I decided then I was really pretty hooked on genealogy because it brought in history and it brought in, and honestly, it's really tough research. So I love being a researcher my whole career. I really love the challenge of trying to use the historical records and from all different geographical locations and trying to, it's really finding the little bits and scraps of information that you can tie into evidence to, to prove a relationship. And that really is how I got started, how I got hooked on it, pursuing becoming credentialed in genealogy. So I am now an accredited genealogist in Midwest states and decided to make that my final career.
0: That's awesome. I didn't even realize the accreditation was a thing until I started snooping around your website. (laughs) I was like, oh, (laughs) that's so cool. Yeah, Yeah, in genealogy, there's... Um,
1: two routes to credentialing there's accreditation and certification, and they're overseen by different governing bodies and they have different requirements, um, uh, accreditation is geographically focused, which I really like because, you know, having been a librarian, I was always really interested in being creative about sources and ways to look for information.
0: And it fit me really well. That's awesome very cool yeah and 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 interesting I have a great uncle who has done a large portion of one line of our family and there's that part of me now that's like I want to just take his stack and hand it to a professional and see how well he did and knowing him he's done very well like yeah right but like I said piecing all those little things together and I know he spent time traveling the east coast then this was back in the days when you had to go find paper records there wasn't the internet <laughs> yeah absolutely,
1: you absolutely know. and you still do to some extent a lot of yeah. events are digitized but genealogy really works on a very local basis to where anybody you're researching in the u.s it's in well outside of new england you're always looking at the county in new england you're looking at the town and y- you've got to go hyper-local on everybody because, you know, your records are at the courthouse. So your deeds are there, your marriage records are there, court records related, if you had any court cases, you know, if you're in the military, your discharge got recorded at the courthouse. So there's all kinds of records like that. And some have made their way on to be digitized on the major websites. Some have not. And so there's still an aspect of having to go to the courthouse and to travel around uh, or hire somebody locally to be able to do that for you. But yeah, you know, related to your great uncle, I'll say pretty much everybody has somebody in their family who does <laughs> genealogy, you know, and, and we all probably know who that person is. The, what any professional genealogist would do, would, they always we always want to review work that has been done before, but, you know, we're going to quickly verify, does it all make sense? you know, have, you know, you really can, has he really connected to all the right people? Because yep. it is sad, but true. But there's sometimes it, people make assumptions about, you know, this John Smith is the same as that John Smith, but really yeah. a different men. And so a lot of the work that I do is establishing people's identity. And it's really yeah. interesting, all the things that go to identity.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. I, I recently moved to Virginia and found out that. If, if, if the lines are corrected right somewhere way back when there's family that homesteaded in Virginia and I started and I got my hands on a name and I started looking at the name and I realized that I'm like there are two people with the same name as far as I can tell they're two different people because right. there's certain little things that don't line up And I'm like okay right this, right this is going to take some deeper diving but super interesting oh. kind of to all of a sudden realize that
1: yeah yeah I mean You know, just in a a really quick way, when you're trying to establish identity, you're looking, of course, at things like their birth date, their birth year, the name of their spouse, the names of their kids, where they lived. Like, do they own, are there two different men of the same name who are in the same county owning land in different places at the same time? Probably two different people, you know? And it can even be things like hobbies. So one time for an attorney, I figured out, that I had the right guy because I found an article on him in high school where he, who I knew was the right guy because he'd come down from the right parents. And it was an article about him restoring a pipe organ. This is a teenager working on a pipe organ. Okay, right. a big featured article in the paper. You know, 30 years go by, have a man of the same name, same birth month, living an hour away. Is he the right guy? Yes, because he had filed with the Secretary of State's office to create a business restoring pipe organs. How many people do that? (laughs) Right. I know, but that's what I mean. You know, if you think about identity is so many things, you know, including your hobbies.
0: Yes, which brings me to a perfect segue into the next part of what I wanted to talk about with you. What are my questions? They're all just like cramming into my mouth at the same time. <laughs> and this is a subject I'm personally super interested in. So like having on it's like selfishly interesting too. But l- I want to talk like about the legacy thing, both understanding where we came from and what we're leaving to the next generation. And I feel like there's a lot of pressure in this day and age. Like you mentioned you're adopted for like adoptees to understand their biological where they came from, and then I also feel like that is kind of, and maybe this is two different co- conversations. There, I'm going to hold that thought. Let's talk about like making the decision as an adoptee to do this research and also do the DNA testing if that's out. Okay. Yeah, right,
1: sure. Well, so here's the thing with DNA testing: you've got to be mentally prepared when you do it. That absolutely anything could come out you can find out your father isn't your father you can find out you have half siblings that you didn't know that you had and
0: you yeah.
1: i've seen that happen twice I mean, it happened to me i mean you know i'm an adoptee so you know i know who my father is i've never met him but i had a half brother i didn't know about pop out of the woodwork a year ago because just because he took an ancestry test and suddenly i'm matching to this guy and it's like, oh, and we end up talking and we kind of figured we, you know, pretty quickly we figured, out we were both children of this man, but we were never really acknowledged, you know, he had, you know, several women he was involved with. And, you know, we actually have other half brothers, half sister that we, but we both knew about them, but didn't know about each other. Oh, and, man. you know, so that can happen. A high school friend of mine reached out and he said, Hey. You're not going to believe this, but my, my sister took a DNA test and found out we have a half brother. We didn't know about now their parents had already both passed. They, it turned out fine. They all welcomed him into the family. It was cool. Might not have been so fine if the parents had been alive, but I'm just saying those things happen literally all the time. So you have to be prepared for that. But if you are an adoptee or you're someone of unknown parentage for whatever reason, DNA testing may get you there because, you know, I say may because it depends on the way that you do that research is it all depends on who your matches are. And if you were from the United States and your family for many generations has all been from the United States, probably a genealogist with your matches can figure out who your family is. Probably it can get down to, well it's one of these five sons, <laughs> you know, and they were all in the same place. And I'm not sure which one, I mean, you know, you can't always exactly tell, but to do DNA work, you have to look at who the matches are, how many centimorgans that you share, but you also 90% of it is actually rebuilding their trees. Like if you're an unknown parentage person, you have to borrow other people's trees essentially, mm-hmm. and then figure out where you fit. Um, So it's often doable. I mean, I I had a client who I was able to she figured out that her did a DNA test, found out the man she was told was her father. She's 70 years old. She found out that her father that who she was told it was wasn't her father. But I figured out who it was, you know, and so that was, you know, really nice and really rewarding. But have a different 70-year-old client whose father was from another an Eastern European country. And I can't figure it out. I know it's probably between two men who were in the right place at the right time. And they're all part of this one big family, but because I can't go far enough back on the paper trail, on the paper tree, I cannot be a hundred percent sure which one it is because those records are in Eastern Europe and not available. So, you know, it does kind of depend on, you know, what your situation is. Um, I would say that if if you do go down that path, Just be prepared. It's kind of one thing if you decide that you want to know for yourself. It's another thing if you decide you want to make contact with those individuals because you may get the warmest reception in the world, all the way up to totally hurtful. I don't want to ever hear from you again. Don't bother me. They're blocking you, you know, that kind of thing. But what I try to counsel people on, if you're going to take a DNA test, is And if you're trying to, particularly if you're trying to find unknown parents, even if the people who are alive shut you out, you still own your ancestors. You still own your family history. And you can still do the research about who their ancestors were and their ancestors and their ancestors. Get a great sense of who you are, where your family was, some of the stories behind them. And, like, I've never met my birth dad. I know who he is. But I've researched a lot of his line, and I could tell you amazing stories about the people on that line. And I get a lot of comfort and a lot of, you know, feeling of kind of, you know, they were, they were Midwest farmers. You know, it, it, my third great-grandfather on that line sent five sons to the Civil War. And they all returned. And they were, he was farm, homesteading, farmsteading here in Ohio in the 1830s. And I live in Ohio. I mean, I was born in Missouri. I live in Ohio and I can go see the land that they owned.
0: That's cool.
1: You always own that about your ancestors,
0: even if the people who are alive don't want you to be part of their lives. So appreciate, so love that perspective, because when I originally thought about bringing you on the show, I was thinking about people who are kind of in that identity crisis, whether they're but we're trying to figure out the unknown paradigms, whether they're adopted mm-hmm. fat, or like we had talked about before we started recording, whether they come from like donor gamuts and fertility treatments. And there's this like, I think the focus is always on the living family. And then, like you said, you you can't predict how they're going to react and to get rejected by them when you're trying to like find this piece of yourself I, lo- I hadn't ever thought about what do you do after that but to look beyond that like that's still your lineage that's still your bloodline that's right. still your history is such a such a powerful way to reframe that if if the living relatives aren't quite what you'd hoped for right like we're looking right. for
1: well yeah i'm someone who didn't know my ancestry till 7 years ago so yeah. you know i can I can tell you interesting stories about my ancestors now. You know, I have a fourth great grandfather who was in Eastern Tennessee in the 1780s, and he was part of a group of men who signed a petition to create a new state. called the La- It's now called the Lost State of Franklin. I was just in the Tennessee History Museum last week in Nashville, and there's actually a big display about the Lost State of Franklin his name's on the petition how cool is that and then Very cool. you know one of his sons by then you know this man moved his family into kentucky and then into illinois and so they were some of the you know he was in illinois by 1814 so they were they were moving west you know as the frontier opened one of his sons in 1840 was went to a political meeting with abraham lincoln You know, because Lincoln was traveling around Illinois at the time and in that county, which was well settled, they were trying to get more people into Abraham Lincoln's political party. So how cool is that? Yeah, Methodist Church in Illinois was founded on on that farm, on their farm. So, you know, they turn up in Methodist Methodist history. So this is all long ago. But interesting history to study. I have a Jamestown ancestor. He came over in, you know, 1609 and was somehow smart enough to go back to England every time something bad happened at Jamestown. But, you know, he was, he was in the first assembly on U.S. soil in 1619. I knew nothing about this seven years ago. And everybody has stories like this in their line. Probably almost everyone has a Civil War ancestor. Mm -hmm. And there's incredible stories about them and really good records. If they, particularly if they fought for the Union and they lived through the war, there are Puchin files that have, you know, rich, rich detail on what they went through during the war, what they went through after the war, who their family was, all of those things. People who have immigrant ancestors can find often passenger lists or naturalization files and find those lates back to to europe at one point ninety percent of men in america owned land so in the 1800s they probably moved to get land you can figure out what the immigration their migration routes were mm-hmm. you can find the land that they owned i mean any qualified genealogist can find that land and show it to you on a map or maybe on google earth and or you can go there and stare
0: at it. I mean, in Ohio, a lot of it's still farmland. It has a, uh, a homestead. It's now actually a natural preserve in Iowa. And there you go. It was a farm a hundred years ago. And uh-huh. i a farm today. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. There's right. a couple new
1: buildings on it, but a uh-huh. lot all it changed. Well, and, you know, I'd be interested in, well, where did they live before Iowa? So like, I, right. I know from studying migration that a lot of people from Ohio went to Iowa. Because that was this in the 1840s that, you know, Ohio was full by then. (laughs) That's where there was land available and the government was selling land. And so there's just all of that that's available. And I think people would be shocked at the kind of records that are still available and what's still
0: possible to find out. Yeah, that's interesting. So this is kind of a great segue. So my other question back when I couldn't decide which question to ask one of the things that dawned on me i had never thought about this until i realized i had family that lived in virginia back in the 1700s there's a good chance that i still want to do this research i just haven't gotten to it yet there's a good chance that my family owned slates at some point and that realization just hit me like a ton of bricks and do you have thoughts on like navigating the feelings that could come from some of the potentially negative history. Cause just, just like we kind of like talk about the DNA history, like. Right. There's right. a lot of great stories, but there's also a lot of heartbreaking stories that are
1: tons how of. How we work. take that forward? Yep. Absolutely. Well, so the fourth great grandfather who moved to Illinois, he was a slaveholder, and he bought his slaves in Kentucky. Moved into Illinois in 1814, which was not a slave state. And they all became indentured servants. I, I can tell you from studying the family that what I saw them doing, at least in records, was taking care of those folks. So they gave them plots of land in the town so they had somewhere to live. The children never owned slaves as they grew up. And you saw them taking care of those folks. So, like, I thought it worked out. You know, in maybe the best way it could have at the time before the Civil War. One of my best genealogy friends, her husband is part African-American, and she has extensively studied his line. And it was a slaveholder in Louisiana who married one of his slaves. And they moved the whole family to Ohio where they could live You know, free. So there are all kinds of interesting stories like that. And but yes, there are there are negative stories. I've got a a great -great great-grandmother that I accidentally found out that she had been sent to the state mental institution. And I, I just got that because the newspaper had been digitized. So a lot of old newspapers are being digitized and you can just, you know, basically search on people's names. And so suddenly here was this article about the the county judge. Escorting her to, you know, the the state institution, but she came back a year later, and I went and I pulled the court records, and it didn't really explain why. As she had had a really hard life. She'd been abused by her first her first husband. Her second husband was her first cousin, so I like I've double. I come down from double cousin, you know, you know first cousin marrying a first cousin, but he had been in the civil war and had all kinds of issues after that too. So, I mean, the two of them had a really hard life. And, you know, so you learn about these things. Many, many children died. You know, it is really, it is really common, like more common than not that a family loses some children, you know, and, and women had, Fourteen children or sixteen mm-hmm. children. I, it, the grandfather who, who bought the land in Ohio and sent the five sons to the Civil War. They had fourteen. They had sixteen kids. That woman, his wife, sixteen oh. kids. Four, twelve of them made it to adulthood. Twelve of them were his heirs when he died at age eighty-nine. Wow. But you know, kids died of childhood diseases mm-hmm. mostly. Yeah. You know, and it, and here's the thing people don't realize. If you survived childhood back in that era, you often did live to your 70s or 80s. You know, we think that people didn't live as long. It's that, it's that they factored in, you know, all the kids who died. If you take yeah. out the kids who died and you made it, you know, look at people who made it to 18 or 21, that yeah. uh, pretty similar life expectancy. It is, act- it is yeah. actually, so it's like, yeah. All about, be careful of how you look at statistics.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Another great lesson there. Yeah, exactly. Right. So with all this information, what about going forward? What about the, the, you and I, before we started recording, kind of touched on the legacy of what do we do with all of this that we've gathered? What once like, right, our questions are answered, maybe a piece of our identity has been kind of put together for us. Where do we go forward with all this stuff?
1: What I like to say to people is, is particularly as you reach middle age and beyond, is this is your chance to try to capture the information about your family and ensure that it gets passed on to the next generation, whether your kids or your nieces and nephews or whoever. Because family history is getting lost. You know, trends of minimalism are hurting things. You know, lots of stuff is getting tossed out. the the way that you can personally address this is make sure you talk to your older relatives. I mean, talk to your parents. There's all kinds of guides out there about what to ask them. You know, maybe it's stories. Like, tell me about, you know, what it was like when you went to school as a kid. You know, tell me about, you know, a holiday. You know, who did you see? Who were you excited? Who you're excited to see? What were you excited to eat? You know, what were some things that were different on a holiday? And record those, you know, write it down, videotape it, do something and try to preserve some of those things. Because no matter how good a genealogist is, you can't get those little personal stories like, you know, something like that, a personal recollection. So make sure that you're capturing that from your older relatives while you can. If they have precious family photos, make sure they're helping you identify the people in them you know, and make sure that you're capturing all of that. I would say those are the most important things that you need to be doing. You can always hire a genealogist to help you go back farther, but mm-hmm. um, at least capture the generation before you as much as you possibly can and ensure those things are are staying. And then if you want to go back farther, if you want to do the research yourself, there's all kinds of ways to get started, all kinds of courses and things that you can take. It, probably everybody will get stuck at some point because it gets pretty hard before 1850 so that's where you might want to bring a professional in to help and professionals also will coach you on how to do the research if you just want to do it yourself but you know just like just like you can hire a personal trainer you can hire a personal genealogist to just coach you like sense. yeah so that that could be another route of kind of partly doing it yourself I really believe that you know your legacy is your is the thoughtful process of deciding on the gifts that you want to share with future generations and your legacy is a lot more than your money it's how you view life it's the lessons you've learned and i think it should be your family history as well because you're that bridge between the past to the future yeah i love that
0: love that do you think two thoughts i love the idea of like hiring a genealogist to help coach me on doing the research. I'm a research junkie too. I find a rabbit hole. I dive as deep as I can as fast <laughs> as I can. Right. Like so like the idea of just hiring somebody to go do the fun for me sounds no fun. But I kind of founded the idea of having somebody to help kind of guide me and like, you know, help through the hiccups and stuff like that. That's such a great idea.
1: Well, with genealogy, there's the thing that makes it challenging and keeps at least keeps me going. And I love digging too, you know. Um, it's the, the variety of records that you can look at. And some of them are easier than others. And that's where a professional could help you kind of understand, okay, well, I'm not finding it in all the easy places. What do I do now? That's where they can kind of help you broaden your search. They also can help you learn how to be critical of what you're finding and learn how to accurately connect generations and, you know, how much There are standards in genealogy about how much proof, you know, how to, how to get proof really of, of, of a relationship. So that's where a professional can help you make sure that you're connecting generations accurately because you don't want to, you don't want to start chasing the wrong person up a tree uh, because that just wastes your time.
0: Yep. Totally makes sense. So this next question, partly asking you personally, but also in your experience with clients when, because. And you knowing that you always knowing that you were adopted, did going through your genealogy and learning about your biological family kind of answer any questions for you? Was that did that make some things make sense? Maybe about your personality or your passions? Or I'm just kind of curious. Like, we always look at like, oh, I know why I'm the way I'm like anybody that meets my mom is like, oh yeah, well, I know why you're the way I were <laughs> like. If I didn't have that and I was only looking before that and kinda of curious if that brought you anything or if clients have talked about that. Yeah, I
1: I found out my birth dad is musical and I'm very interested in music and a played instruments and, and still, you know, kind of driven by always wanting to listen to music. And so I, I mean, like I said, I've never met him, but you know, I've, I've found this out, you know, you, you start to realize that you pick up a lot from the people who raised you too you know, I'm, I'm pretty tight. Yeah. So is my adopted dad, <laughs> pretty detail oriented, that kind of thing. I would say that it really cemented how I feel that I'm a Midwesterner. Because I realized that you know my family has been in the Midwest for two hundred years, and kind of understanding—I mean, my adoptive dad was his came from farmers, but so did all of my all of my biological ancestors. We're all farmers, and they were all farmers in the Midwest. And I feel, you know, I've kind of felt connected to that, you know, a little bit. But I, I think that it cemented my identity as a Midwesterner helped me understand that I I don't want to get political, but I'm going to say that it helps you understand why people have the beliefs that they do where you grew up when you better understand how, how they came from extremely independent people who migrated across from, you know, Scotland to tennessee and they were defying the british and then they moved to missouri and the you know it starts it's it kind of helps you have more maybe patience and tolerance for why people are the way they are because you understand the historical context better
0: i love that i had never thought of that i i was just as you were saying that what also flashed in mind is even like parenting style like as i talk to my mom about my childhood and as she tells me about her childhood with her mother and then i hear about my great-grandmother and like was slavic i'm drawing a blank but like very yeah. like hard there was no screwing around you're gonna get beat if you screw up like all of a sudden like even just parenting styles and like each generation tries to do what better than like, the generation before I'm, like oh there's just some stuff in like how my family functions that all of a sudden kind of kind of makes sense of that culturally and generationally a whole bunch of information, right? That then goes generation yeah, gets passed down and down.
1: Well, and like you may hit a you may have somewhere in your family where no one ever, you know, my grandma never talked about her family. Mm -hmm. You know, something like that. Yeah. And then you research them and you find out why. Yeah. You know, I had a, I had a client who said that to me, they never talked about her grandfather. He said, she said he was always kind of a mystery to me. Well, I'll tell you, he wasn't much of a mystery in Chicago because he was definitely related to the Chicago political machine. And there were hundreds, hundreds of articles about him in the newspaper. And so. I had to like really pick and choose which ones are these. Coming out. What of what of the story am I going to show her? Because you know there was a lot there to choose from, but she suddenly kind of grasped. Well, now I see why his daughter never really talked about him very much because I don't think she was real proud of that.
0: Right, right. Yeah, interesting. Which another interesting question. Do you is that common that you catch yourself? I mean, do you ever? I would assume. I'm guessing. That I know the answer to this, but would you ever censor the information you pass on to the family? Et- I mean, et- et- ethic ethically, no. I mean, yeah. you know, uh,
1: it, it, would I would I kind of soften it with a, a call or an email first and say, you know, here's the kinds of things I'm finding, and I'm about to send this to you. Kind of tell you know, tell me how much of this you really, you know. Want to that see? You know, I I would make sure. You no, know, we ethically genealogists don't hold back what we find, even if it's. And, and this especially rate relates to DNA. Is you know we're not going to hold it back, even if it's upsetting, and you and you have to be prepared that it might be.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that makes perfect. That's what I was asking the question. I was like, ethically, there's no way you guys can be making no, that decision. But no, like you said, to be able to soften the blow, I kind of like prepare somebody and i think it's a good reminder there's this very when i think about genealogy i think of very very fanciful and fun stories about my past and like my my heritage but that's not all that's there the same as if you're going to do dna testing you might find stuff you don't want to know so
1: well absolutely you know and sometimes the the other thing too is that you have to To be a good genealogist, you have to be a good student of history. So you need to understand the context in what, in which they lived and, you know, study the, the history of the time and what, you know, what would be like, they were slaveholders. Well, you know, in 1800 in Kentucky, right. And they had enough money to probably they were slaveholders, you know, and it kind of You know, those things we don't like now. And there's other things too that probably you would like now. You could pretty easily in some parts in the Midwest in the 1920s find out that your ancestors were in the Klan. There's a place in my husband's family where we think that was true. You know, I don't know that we can prove it, but we, you know, they were
0: right place, right time. Say so like you said, in in the context of that, that yeah. was the realization of my family that the potential of being slave owners was, was, that, contextually the time, the location, the property size, the money, and the family was like, wow, oh, yeah, I'm gonna guess, and and not that that like for me personally, like I don't think any less of them. Like you said, in the historical context of that place and time. Kind of is what it is, but then it's all, there's a part of me now as I do my own personal, you know, advocacy and what I want to do with my life and look at my legacy. Is there a way that I can kind of give back, move forward? Right. I, I I don't even know the right words, but like how I can kind of like acknowledge that and do better. Right, exactly. Well, you know, as you
1: alluded to earlier, not all the stories are good. And, but does it help you have a broader perspective on, you know, how you got to where you are? You know, it, is it possible you're where you are because of risks that people took? You know, they took a risk coming to the US, they took a risk starting a business, they, you know, and, and you start appreciating some of those things. So there's, there's all, all sides to this. And, and a lot of times people, you, you become pretty, convinced they were probably doing the best that they could, but it was, it was tough where they were, or, you know, they had to move, or people died so easily. You know, they're yeah, I I have noticed doing research that a lot of times men were married two, three times because their wives died in childbirth.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and you get pretty used to seeing those kinds of things. And, or that a man would suddenly die in his fifties of, you know, an accident. Right. So, you know, things, things happened, but you start seeing the patterns of how they persisted in the next generation, you know, went on and, you know, you know, they kept things moving, but then you see some really cool stuff too. Like another client of mine had me going back on her lines. Well, this, what was cool about it was her 92 year old mother was writing her memoirs. And so this client wanted to try to fill in information about her mother's lines. And so I thought, well, that's a really cool project. So I did it. And I, I go back in time and I find out that in the 1870s in Southwest Ohio, there is a farmer. He's their ancestor. Well, this man decides he doesn't want to be a farmer anymore. So he starts studying law and he becomes a lawyer in his 19, in the 19th. I'm sorry, he's in his 50s does a career change from being a farmer to being an attorney in the 1870s wow and then you know he starts appearing in newspaper articles where he was arguing this case or that case and whatever i mean that's cool isn't that cool you know yeah you know just it, when you see those little stories about ambitious and ambitions and you see people pay it off that's, that's kind of neat
0: yeah that's so awesome but Lori, i could pick your brain all day like i said <laughs> definitely a personal interest of mine this has been so delightful and so interesting will you tell us where we can find you in case people have questions or just want to learn more about your genealogy as a whole
1: sure my company is called heritage bridge and so my website is heritagebridge.com and there you can learn a little bit more about me you can learn about family history you can learn more about forensic genealogy which is um Genealogy for Attorneys. I do have blog posts out there as well that tell a few of these stories. And I'm always happy to do a free consultation and chat Genealogy with anyone who wants to chat about it. So, awesome. you know, just
0: reach out. Awesome. I, and I will make sure that your web addresses in the show notes so you are easy to find. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute delight. Mel thanks so much Casey really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you it's been fun thank you for tuning in to another episode of the pursuit of evolution podcast if you really love what you're hearing be sure to screenshot this and head over to Instagram give it a share tag me at casey.jordan I love hearing from each and every one of you, your insights and ahas from every episode. And by sharing over on Instagram, you also help me get in front of more eyeballs and get more listeners to the show so we can share these lessons with more and more people. So until next time, I'll catch you on the Instagram.